Welcome in to another new podcast from Codings Pro Magazine. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, news editor with the AMP Publications team. Today, we're talking with Phil Sisiani, coding specialist and owner of Specialty Codings and Consulting Incorporated. They're based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Phil has a wealth of experience and industry knowledge. He's been at the company since November of 1985, so nearly 40 years. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for everything you've done over the years for not just our magazine at Codings Pro, but obviously the betterment of the industry and our world as well. Thrilled to have you on. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. I thank you for the uh, the opportunity to uh, to speak today, and um, you know, we're kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. I am too. I love to pick the brains of experienced contractors, and you are certainly at the forefront of that list. Before we get into some of the things that you've learned over your distinguished career, again, nearly four decades. I want to give you a chance to actually introduce yourself because I'm sure there's a few things that I missed in that very brief intro. So when we're talking about Phil Sisiani, your career highlights, and of course your company, Specialty Coatings and Consulting, uh, just tell us a bit about um, your career and also the areas of expertise for you guys as a company. Yeah, the hardest thing I have is talking about myself, but um, I'll try to uh, to get through that. Um, yeah, I, I've. Um, well, I would just say I've been in, the, I guess, around chemicals probably since I graduated uh, graduated high school. I went to a technical school in high school, and uh, my first job was uh, working for a company called Mobay, which in turn uh, changed the name to Bear, and and I guess nowadays it's uh, Convestro. Um, I started there, um, had a couple of years just working as a technician, and then uh, got hired. Uh, Back in, uh, I think it was uh, 82 or 80, I think it was 82, I got hired by a small company in the area um, working in the coal and, and power plant industry, basically doing spray linings. And uh, it's kind of where I cut my teeth in the industry, uh, you know, everywhere from I've sandblasted and sold the job, sandblasted, coordinated the jobs, um, coded, you know, did uh, coding, poor component, single component. Um, uh, that's kind of where I started, you know, just spraying structural steel and um, things. The company kind of went uh, uh, chapter 11, not because of my doing, of course, <laughs> but um, I had an opportunity to uh, become a manufacturer's rep selling a product and uh, kind of did that for a couple of years. And at that point in time, I started to uh, to do contracting work uh, and, and well, in 85 is when I uh, started selling uh, materials and manufacturers rep. And then uh, probably in 1990 is when we started to do more con, you know, really get into the contracting end of, uh, end of the business. So, so when it comes to uh, coatings, you know, I've done it from tank linings to uh, spraying structure steel to uh, roof coatings um, to, uh, you know, now we're 95% of our business is pretty much uh, uh, flooring epoxy flooring so okay so i've done it uh i guess i've done every aspect of the business as far as uh, you know prep work and spraying and applying and um you know selling jobs and and all that so well i'm impressed by by the depth of your experience over the years for perspective i was actually born in june 1984 so you've almost been doing this 
as long as I've been alive. And that's, well, that's, that doesn't make me feel any younger. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I'll t- well, I'll tell you what, I feel, you know, a lot older than I did a few years ago. So it, it puts into perspective yeah. just how much, uh, experience that you've gained over, um, these 35 plus years that you've been right. doing this. Yep. And I've, you know, I've learned from, you know, a number of different people in the industry and actually out of the industry, you know, as far as sales goes and also from, from applications and, and just, you know, mm-hmm. when you're in this business, some of the old people that were in years ago that are no longer with us, unfortunately, um, you know, uh, had great relationships with, uh, with some different people in the industry. And I've learned one thing is, you know, you sit and you, you, you listen, you watch and you learn from people that are, uh, that have that experience and, you know, I've always been intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where I kind of, kind of my position now is, you know, I'm one of the old guys now and I'm not sure how that makes me feel, but we'll go with it. <laughs> well, it gives you a bunch of knowledge for sure. So let's run with that angle. As far as the types of projects that you've done, you mentioned doing, of course, a lot of flooring work now. Obviously, you've aligned your fair share of assets over the years. Are there any particular projects that stand out either active or from your past as far as just a particular job that's really memorable? I'm sure some you may not be able to disclose, but amongst those projects that you can disclose, is there one or two that stand out? Yeah, that's a, that's a, you know, I pondered that question. Uh, I, I pondered that question quite a bit because, you know, we've done, you know, I've done everything from, you know, coating a boat to coating a, a train and cars and, you know, train cars, not cars, cars. Um, and just, you know, I, I think some of the smaller projects have been uh, somewhat gratifying more than the bigger projects. I've never been a big project kind of guy. You know, we've always um, liked the, you know, anywhere from 500 square feet to, to uh, you know, 2,000 square foot jobs have been our bread and butter over the years. You know, but when, a you know, a 10,000, 20,000 or 30,000 square foot job comes up, I think the biggest job we've probably done is probably 125,000. Uh, those those are more they're time consuming and and as far as the nerves go, they're a little bit more um, aggressive on the nerves because there's more things to worry about on the on the larger projects. But um, it's kind of interesting. We just uh, in fact this Saturday we just uh, finished the last of the square footage, large square footage at a uh, at Pittsburgh Brewing. I can say that. Um, here in Pennsylvania, they uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, good old Iron City beer. Uh, uh, they purchased a old uh, PPG plant and turned it into uh, a brewery, and we've been there for about a year year now. And it, it's kind of one of those things where we had the uh, the opportunity and the uh, the oh how how would I say the the privilege? And that's the way I look at it. I look at a lot of jobs as privileges to do a job that was we'll call that high profile and we were able to to really work with the customer and they were able to work with us and and it was a, it, it was a great uh, relationship and it's not even done yet but um we just finished up this uh on saturday it was putting the last bit of material down with the guys and and um it, just knowing that we did a high, a high profile job like that a pittsburgh you know a pittsburgh uh, company for all these years Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it was kind of one of those. Things. It was, is this my last swan song, as they say? Um, because right. I'm getting, I'm getting to the point where um, I will be, how would you say, turning the reins slowly but surely over to to my son, okay. who's been with me now for about six years. 
so, um, you know, my next phase is to move into a, you know, different part of the industry. Mm-hmm. One of the so, things that's uh, unique about your setup, you mentioned the family dynamic and you guys are an independent contractor. And this is a landscape right. where you've certainly got a lot of bigger corporate entities as well that are a lot larger. Um, what are some of the, I suppose, unique challenges, but also unique opportunities that come from operating as an independent contractor in this field? Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we're, uh, we're, we can dictate what we're going to put down on the floor. Mm. So when we walk into a customer, um, uh, I've always approached this. We come in and we can help design a system that is one, um, you know, appropriate for what their usage is going to be. Um, and to, you know, to try to make it as economical for them, you know, as possible, um, because there's so many different systems um, that you can put down. And what we do is we try to find out what best fits, fits the customer. And that's kind of what I've done for, you know, quite a few years now is, you know, not come in there and, and say, well, you need to put down a quarter inch system where a 16th inch system would work just as well. Um, I'm not interested in selling, you know, as much product as I can on a job. It's just trying to develop and put down a system that's going to be, you know, a long, long-term solution and most cost-effective solution for a customer. So that's given us, you know, a lot of leeway. And we work with different manufacturers, you know, that's in the industry and they'll, they'll bring us leads and we go in and we actually work with them to say, Hey, listen, this is what's the best fit for the customer. Um, and that, that, that has helped. And, you know, we've maintained, you know, we run two crews typically is where we run. We're not, we're not a big, I've always kept it at a certain size because you lose quality control when you get to, you know, bigger size, you're just trying to nail every job there is out there. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. We we can somewhat be selective um, and where we don't want to overextend our crews because when you overextend the crews and that's when you start running into quality control issues and, and you know, to be in a business as long as we have, um, you have to protect your quality control because, you know, a couple hiccups in a marketplace is uh, it's not a good thing. You mentioned not wanting to overextend your crews. I think that can tie into the broader issue we're seeing across the industry of workforce development. I think everyone's aware of the projections of the shortfall over the next decade when it comes to skilled trades. And of course, there's also a related discussion of trying to get more of technology, new technologies, things like drones and what have you to potentially mitigate the shortfall from a human component. I guess one thing that's somewhat unique for you as an independent contractor, you do have a bit more hands-on oversight than some of these bigger entities that we were just sort of contrasting your approach with. So as someone that's able to be a bit more hands-on with your crews, with your people, uh, how are you adapting to some of the workforce development challenges and uh, what are some strategies that you guys have in place to hopefully blunt the impact of that over the coming years? Um, we really haven't had too bad of an issue during, you okay. know, you'll use the word COVID. Um, but, you know, we're always looking for, um, you know, new people to put in the fold. And, you know, and I think in this industry, you need uh, what I call good mechanics. We don't, we don't go out 
trying to cherry pick other, you know, contractors, competitors, because, you know, the way we do things are, are, are different than the way other contractors do, do work. And I would rather have somebody who is, who has what I call a good mechanics mind. So in other words, are able to solve problems and um, pay attention to detail. Uh, honestly, that's what this industry really is, is about paying attention to detail, whether you're polishing concrete or whether you're coating concrete. You have to have people that are, are you know, pay attention to detail. Uh, I, I can't emphasize that, you know, to my guys any more than, you know, I, I show up at the job and they kind of, you know, <laughs> they kind of look at me going like, okay, what's he going to find? And, you know, and it's not like I'm looking for anything, but I know what what I, I need to make sure is done right because I know what, if it's not done right, then it's a potential problem, but also, you know, trying to keep uh, a customer happy. And you know, like I say, some of these, if you're doing too many jobs at one time, you do lose that quality control. And it's something that that uh, we work on. But as far as, you know, trying to find people, it, it's tough. I mean, everybody industry-wise, wide and in the contracting world, you know, everybody's having the same problem. We don't know where everybody, where everybody went. You know, mm-hmm. there's just not the people out there and, and you know, it's an industry that can be trained and gratified. It's not, uh, how would you say, it's not the prettiest of industries, but at the same time, it's very gratifying when you could take a floor that's pretty well damaged and turn it into something that really looks nice. What do you think the optimal strategy is when it comes to sort of changing that mindset? It, you know, I like what you said there as far as uh, the end result and what that ultimately does for a facility and thus um, really the broader world because of, then you have to think about what that facility is actually used for and what uh, preserving that asset potentially does in the grand scheme. And so I think there's a lot of people at a younger age who might be more receptive to this type of career if they saw it not just as putting a coating on a floor, but preserving an asset that really does something for the betterment of society. Is that sort of the messaging that you want to get out or just like from a strategy perspective, what do you think potentially might uh, incentivize more people at a younger age to start filling those gaps a bit? Well, I, I think as far as a, a you know, a, a, a wage paying industry, um, you know, we pay our guys very well. Mm-hmm. We have to, well, um, yeah. you know, money counts. Type of work. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and money's not everything, but, you know, I realize what it takes to do the work because I still do that work today. Well, I'm trying to do less of it, but um, I know what it takes to do it. And I would never put my guys in a position where I wouldn't put them where I, I wouldn't do that job. Um, but again, it's a it's a contracting world. It's just like a carpenter or, or a cement mason or whatever that, you know, you have to show the benefits and, and like I say, the benefit I see of this in, you know, of doing flooring is yes, the grinding part is, is kind of the worst part of it. But when you're done putting material down and you step back and you look at it, you go, yeah, we did something here. And that's the way I've always kind of viewed this, viewed the industry. So how do you get people into the industry? You know, are there training, you know, develop training schools for, you know, as far as the application goes, I think mm. that, you know, you have manufacturers that will bring people in and, and do that. But it's like, where does this craft fall under? Um, you know, is there, a, a, you know, an opportunity out there for somebody to, like AMP to, to have a training, mm. 
you know, where people can come in and, and train how to uh, to grind. Because I know in the the polishing industry that uh, um, you know they they have an organization where they will um, have people come in and train train the yeah. people. I was so. going to touch on that later in the podcast, but let's jump into it yeah. right now. When we talk about AMP, which is a larger organization that really the idea is to combine the resources of SSPC and NACE. So in theory, you have a larger platform. What are some of the things that AMP can do as that merged organization of NACE and SSPC to help contractors like yourself? You mentioned um, a consistent training umbrella as one example. Uh, what's the best way that an association like AMP can tackle challenges as a collective industry? I think that I think you you kind of touched on it there that you know the quote steel coating industry um, structure of steel they have that very well covered, especially with training and certifications. But as far as the epoxy flooring goes, there is no organization that I know of. There's no there's no you know again the polish industry has their organization, the coating industry. I've been saying this actually for years. There's really nothing there you know, for any guidelines or, or uh, requirements, I don't, you know, requirements is, I don't think a big deal, but it's more of a certification for people to understand, you know, what profile do you need to apply certain products? Um, what's the guidelines that, you know, applying a product's a whole different deal, you know, because again, there's so many different products out there. And I, I do want to touch on something that are probably, I don't know, hopefully it doesn't blackball me in industry, but the thing is, this the 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 epoxy. Well, I'll say epoxy. Let's just say the polymer floor coating business is driven by manufacturers. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a good thing because you have a lot of people out there talking architects and whatever. But the problem is, is the manufacturer selling product. Well, that's where they make the money. I understand that. But again, there you don't have the expertise or the the infield knowledge that somebody like myself or you know other people in this industry have where we actually apply the product we actually go back you know i go back if i'm going past an industry or customer that I did five years ago i always stop in to say see how the coating is holding up see you know i could show you a picture of a job we did yesterday but what does that job look like five years from now mm-hmm. and that's the important part but you know again the manufacturers are pretty much driving which is good driving the industry as far as force coding is going. But when an architect calls and says, well, I have this floor, the manufacturer goes in and says, well, you need to do this, this, and that. Versus somebody like myself can come in work with the customer and say, okay, what are the needs? What are you going through? Here's what my experience is. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, that all manufacturers, do that but I, you know i see the majority of that going on in industry and and a lot of times it's like coming in and say hey listen you only need uh you know instead of doing the whole floor with uh, you know uh, it's a production area to sell urethane cement for the whole place well maybe designate the areas that you really need a urethane cement and then do another polymer system on the rest of the floor in other words helping the customer save money in the long run unless the customer is i haven't find those customers that have more money than what that they know what to do with. Hmm. Um, so from that standpoint, again, I don't want to, you know, I think what manufacturers doing are, are, are driving the industry, which is great. But I think there's, 
there's also an added part where people like myself that know what works in the industry or works on certain floors, how we can assist. And that's kind of where I'm going um, when I do transition here in a couple of years mm-hmm. where I do want to be involved with customers and actually manufacturers to help them out to design systems to help advise you know, the end user on what mm-hmm. needs to be done. And from an association perspective, it sounds like the key is really just to keep the lines of communication as wide open as possible with contractors like yourself and the industry so that as these training programs get developed and we're constantly trying to innovate new things to mitigate the potential, well, not potential, there is a workforce uh, development issue, but the potential worsening of it, the key is to have open lines of communication so that we can accurately uh, respond to what's going on out in the field. Yep, yep. Perfect. By the way, apologies to our listeners. If you hear anything in the background, I'm trying to mitigate it as best we can, but there's some rather uh, intense thunderstorms rolling through where I am in Houston, Texas, the hazards of podcasting during the summer. So hopefully you won't hear that, but if you do hear something in the background, that's what's going on. My apologies. Phil, we've been looking. Also in Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) Luck of the draw, depending on when and where you uh, record from. So we've been talking the last few questions about better positioning contractors like yourself and really the entire industry to the younger generation to make it more attractive. I do want to talk about the other side of that equation as well, which is how someone new to the industry can perhaps better integrate themselves and get on better terms with an industry veteran like yourself, because we are going to see people all across this industry. You mentioned over the next couple of years, you're going to be phasing out into a slightly different role. Of course, I know you've got your son involved in your business, but there's going to be other opportunities that potentially open up at your business and many others that a person who positions themselves well over the next few months or years could potentially be in line to take advantage of and reap the benefits of. So when we're talking about someone that's new to your company, to one of your crews, an office position, whatever it may be, what's something that stands out to you? What's something that um, you know a newcomer can do as they get started in the industry uh, and to really make an impression with you? And what are some of the things they should be looking at when it comes to, I suppose, you know, knowledge improvement as they try and progress in their careers? How can someone young stand out to Phil Siziani, basically. Well, it's just, you know, taking, taking pride in their work. I mean, I think that's, that's the big key is somebody who pays attention to detail. Again, it's a very detailed uh, business, just like any type of coding. Um, you know, whether you're uh, coding an exterior of a tank or interior of a tank, whether you're doing a floor, whether you're polishing a floor, um, it's all pay attention to detail. It's just a good attitude. I mean, it's, it's funny, I just ran an ad for, you know, to try to get one or two new people in. And I and I put as a requirement, required driver's license and a great attitude. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's really what, what the, um, you know, I think any position out there in, in any job is you just need to have a positive attitude and, and understand that, I mean, I try to treat my guys like I would want to be treated. And that's mm-hmm. why I've always done it. And I won't put, you know, like I said before, I won't put anybody in a position where I wouldn't. I do that work. Um, right. And it's it just, you know, it's, it's just an open mind. I mean, it, the industry, 
um, it, it's a specialized industry. There's no question about it. Um, it's a it's a different industry, and it's just for people once they get into learning. And you know, fortunately, unfortunately, you know, in the Pittsburgh area, there's probably I've probably created three or four competitors over the past thirty plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, I've had people come in and, and work, and then they said, "Well, I think I could do them on themselves," you know, and uh, and like I say, they've gone out and they've done well, and and uh, they've been good competitors. We don't really run into each other, but you know, they're in the marketplace, and so I kind of look at this like, okay, well, if I make competitors, then I guess I was, I've been stealed or done something right to uh, definitely to you know get people in the industry. You know, it's just kind of one of those things that. You know, it it happens and it's going to happen because people get in and they think, oh, it's this is easy to do. All I have to do is go out and buy a machine and and hook up with somebody to sell me, you know, they'll sell me material and I can do this. And you're right. They can because, you know, they've been trained. Um, Some of them make it in this industry. Some of them don't because, you know, again, it's it's just not applying a product. It's the whole thing because I look where I started from and, you know, cash flow is always the the uh, ultimate evil um, in this business is trying to keep that moving while you're trying to to grow a company and you know uh, face it we've all we've all had our ups and downs in this industry and and uh, but we've always maintained do the job you know do it right the first time and if you if you don't do it right the first time you got to go back and make sure that you take care of what you didn't do right and that's what we do i don't you know money is one of those things that if the job goes sour, you got to go in and fix it, whether it's a year later or whether it's right after you're done it, you're done. You you take care of your um, your problems. And that's what keeps, I think that's what kept us alive in this industry is because we have a reputation of, you know, we do things, even if we do them wrong, we come back and fix our mistakes. You mentioned your experience of doing this for 30 plus years, which is, of course, a big reason why we're talking to you on this podcast. We could talk for hours, I'm sure, picking your brain. And of course, we're trying to condense this all into 30 minutes or less. But in terms of just the overall technologies over the 30 plus years that you've been in the industry, obviously, there's been so many changes when it comes to the materials themselves, the equipment you use. A lot of that's brought on by changing standards when it comes to um, environmental regulations and what have you. What in general are you doing or thinking about in the early 2020s that you weren't doing in the late 1980s, early 1990s? Where are the areas that you've seen the most movement when it comes to, you know, we'll talk about um, flooring, I suppose, the most because that's what is really your wheelhouse today. What's been the biggest change as the decades have progressed in terms of, you know, the technologies of the materials and the equipment and the considerations that you're going through now that you might not have had to go through 10, 20 or 30 years ago? I think the biggest change in the industry has to be the um, um, development of uh, polished concrete. I know that Mm -hmm. sounds weird, Um, but the the tooling, the machines that the the polished concrete world um, developed um, has been a huge uh, help in the what I'll say the the polymer business, flooring business because you know it's allowed us to you know we went from using you know uh, blast tracking floors you know with shot blasting the floors 
Um, you know, the grinders that were out there were, you know, basically concrete grinders. They weren't what we have today. Um, and I look at, I think about 14 or 15 years, I don't know, time flies, but when I went to uh, World of Concrete in, in Vegas, um, there was the, you know, the polished concrete was the big thing and in, in the machines and I'm looking at the, the price of the machines. I'm like, holy smokes, you know, how do you spend that money for those machines? But as that industry grew, I think it really helped the, the, uh, the polymer flooring business because it's given us a way to, to prep uh, differently, um, more effectively, I think in some, uh, some areas, because the blast track machine is, is a very complex um, machine and it takes you know, a couple components versus the, uh, the new machines that, um, that, you know, say the machines we're using today, you know, every, anywhere from one I could pull out of a truck, plug it into a generator, portable generator and start to grind a floor. First, and then you know your bigger machines that are uh, um, remote control. So I think the polished concrete business or industry has really benefited the the polymer business um, from that standpoint of the technology, how that continues to grow and, and grow and grow. Which is funny because uh, I don't know how many years ago we did a thing with Coatings Pro magazine where it was whether to polish or to coat, hmm. and uh, I was on the coating side of it, but ask me how much polishing we do now. <laughs> so we do do polishing. You know, when yeah. my son got in, it was something that he wanted to do. So, but we have the equipment. So it, it kind of like we're doing a job later this week where we're polishing part of the the uh, restaurant and the other part of it, we're putting epoxy coating. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination. So yeah. to me, the biggest movement in the industry was the the prepping equipment. As far as uh, the uh, materials go, um, you know, we've, I've watched the, you know, epoxies have, have, um, have gotten better over the years, but then you have the polysparks that has come into the work, come into the place. I've saw the polyureas come in, which they faded pretty quick. The polysparks, they have their place um, because they're a very fast setting, but they have their other challenges that go with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, you know, the materials have gotten a little bit better, but nothing, quote, that, um, you know, they've they've defined, you know, they've kind of tweaked as they've gone along mm-hmm. here. But, you know, I don't see, I'm really interested to see what what's coming out, you know, in the next five years as far as materials go. Because, again, polyspartics did make a big difference mm-hmm. um, in a lot of people and some people's business. But it's polyspartic is something we use, but we don't use a lot of. We're still the old epoxy and, mm-hmm. and uh, polyurethane, uh, yeah, because I I feel that that's from a personal standpoint, polyurethanes are are uh, still the best materials mm-hmm. out there. When we talk about the grinding and the polishing, and of course that plays into your prep and your application strategies. I think one thing that stands out to me, and of course I'm not contractor myself i'm strictly an amp staff member that talks to contractors but it really feels like that there's less of a one-size-fits-all strategy for you guys out in the field and more customization because you have these different technologies you have these new pieces of equipment and so you can really do as as you laid out in one of your examples you can do part of a job one way and part of a job a different way. And so you're seeing more and more customization when it comes down to, you know, what your actual prep and or application strategies are that you can really try and specialize and get very niche oriented in terms of what makes sense 
for a particular project or environment. Is that a fair assessment of how I guess some of these new technologies and equipment are perhaps you know changing the way that you actually go about installing a new system? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I say, materials and equipment, and again, uh, just what the customer using the the area for makes a big difference. And again, that's just you know a lot of it is just uh, knowledge and experience as far as uh, you know what's what's the right way and mm-hmm. you know what's the wrong way to do something. So you know that's kind of where you know, like I said, if I look back, you know, thirty years and just see what how we were doing things. Um, I think a big thing is when uh, OSHA passed the dust um, requirements. Um, I remember, you know, our guys were using shop vacs just like everybody else was and you know you every stop every five ten minutes and and beat the filters out nowadays you know you've got the hepa filters where you know they're self-purging or you purge them and and production wise you're you're getting more production out of your people but the the, the great thing is it's more as a safety factor so the yeah. guys aren't uh, inhaling the dust and that so yeah to me that's a big stickler i don't know you know i don't know how many vacs we have but you know, one goes down, it gets fixed right away. So we know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the only thing we use a shop vac for anymore is picking up a uh, colored flake after it's been uh, excess colored flake. That's the only time we use this shop vac yeah. nowadays. But, and for a lot um, of segments of the industry, that's going to get even more important the next few years because OSHA is supposed to have, you know, its new lead standards out by 2024 or so. So I'm guessing those safety advances and those priorities you put in place are only going to get even more important um, the next few years, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The safety for the guys, and, and again, you know, when you work with concrete dust, um, you know, that's something, you know, uh, yeah. and chemicals. You know, I've, like I say, I've been around them for for forty years, and you know, knock on wood, uh, you know, I've tried to take some precautions. Not in my early days, but you know, <laughs> what I knew, what I know now, I wish I yeah. knew before. But um, you know, knock on wood, I'm, you know, I'm still here, so that's a good thing. <laughs> for sure. Um, you mentioned Coatings Pro and some of the work you've done with us in the past. Beyond giving us discussion topics, you've also given us various case studies where we profiled some of the projects that you and your crews have done. Just generally speaking, what have Coatings Pro and associations like SSPC, NACE, and now AMP, obviously there's various offerings like certifications, trainings, events, what have you. Just talk if you could about the role of Coatings Pro and also associations as benefits to your career over the years. You know, earlier in the podcast, we talked about things that associations either need to do better or need to continue prioritizing. Now looking at from the other side of the fence, what are some things that associations and industry trade publications like Coatings Pro are already doing that have sort of benefited you as your career has progressed? Um, you know, Coatings Pro, you know, as far as the magazine goes, I think they've done a pretty good job over the years. Um, you know, if you take a look at some of the magazines that are out there, and I don't get a lot of them. In fact, I don't think I get any other magazine but Coatings Pro nowadays. Um, there's, they've done it right. They've they've done it right from the beginning, and um, and you look at some of the other magazines that are no longer around, um, and the organizations, you know, like SSPC and NACE, um, there was always good information that you could pick up from different. I'm always one of those. I look at case histories. I look at case studies. I mean, that's you know what. I'm not real interested in how pretty a floor looks after it's been put down. I want to know what it looks like you know, five, 10 years, 15 years later. And I think we did one for 
for Cody's Pro did one on a mining facility that we did. It was supposed to be there for 10 years and ended up being for 15 years. And if you looked at the coating, it was still there after all these years. And, you know, to me, that's, that's what, um, you know, everybody in this industry should be striving for. It's not, let's make it look pretty, you know, today. What does it look like five, 10, 15 years from now? Mm-hmm. Because again, the customer is making an investment. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I really haven't taken advantage of, you know, certifications in that, which is kind of funny being in the industry as long as I have, because <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of one of those things where I don't have a college education. I, I was kind of forced to get in the workforce, you know, early, well, right out of high school, you know, inspired to be a chemical engineer. Well, that couldn't have been afforded in, in my upbringing. So, you know, I say, well, you know, I started from the bottom up and, and I look at certifications as, okay, how much certification do I need? I have so much field experience that I want to sound conceited on that one. But, you know, again, I have, I have all the field experience that, you know, I've run into just about every problem that's out there. Do I really need all this certification? And it's funny because I've now been thinking, well, maybe it's not too, too late to, you know, to yeah. take a look at something like that. But, you know, again, that's, I guess that's the, a personal thing. The better way to frame it is that, you know, you learned the hard way through so many experiences out in the field, but for people that don't have the benefit of that experience, i.e. the next generation that you're trying to bring in to potentially replace folks like yourself, that's where that standardized training could really be valuable. Right. And, you know, and to be honest with you, that's that's where, uh, you know, I might be doing that quicker than I think I'm going to do as far as walking, you know, stepping away from this business as far as you know just turning total ownership over to my son and uh put myself in a position where i can be uh, either technical support or training support and uh with different organizations so gotcha. that's kind of where i'm where i'm trying to to look at where i can be best used because honestly i've done as much as i can for this business and it's Certainly. just like how do i help Great insight there from Phil Siziani, coding specialist and owner of Specialty Coatings and Consulting in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Been doing this for a very long time, so much success. So he's a great resource potentially for our listeners. Phil, is there any parting words that you want to give to our audience as far as uh, words of advice, lessons learned, anything that we haven't covered over the last 30 to 40 minutes that you would like to convey to our audience and Beyond that, uh, feel free to toss out uh, your company's website, your LinkedIn, or basically where people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more. You know, I I sit back and I, I look at, uh, you know, quote, success. And, you know, I, I have a hard time saying that, but I guess I have to. Um, but I, I when my son came into the business about six years ago, he said, he said, Dad, he said, um, how do we, you know, how do you get your business? And I thought that was the best question he could have asked me. And I said to him, I said, 90% of our business is referrals or word of mouth. Uh, we don't advertise. Uh, I don't think I've ever advertised. And the, the point is, is we put a good reputation out there. And, and I told him, I said, when we, when we do a job, we don't make it about the money. We don't make it about the almighty dollar. Because the bottom line is we go in and we treat the customer fairly. We do the best job we can. And in the long run, the customer will come back or refer us. And I think too many people in this industry make it about the almighty dollar. And I think that's where um, a lot of failure is in this industry. And to be honest with you, this industry is very gratifying when you can walk in 
to a customer and solve a problem uh, and walk away and you look at the floor or whatever and you sit there and say, okay, I did my best here and it looks great. And the customer says, that looks great. Um, so, you know, it, it's the old business. I'm not a, you know, a great business mind, but I know what makes my customer happy is what has made us a success is, you know, reputation is, is the big thing. And, and honesty is, is what I always try to, uh, um, it's the only thing I know to do is to be honest with a customer. So, um, you know, I guess that's my advice to people getting into the industry or, or into the industry and then just not try to grow too fast. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, our website's pretty easy. It's speccoding.com, which is two Cs. So speccoding.com and, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm out there. I can be found, uh, especially on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, you know, all my contact information mm-hmm. is, yep. uh, is, is on the website too. So Phil Siziani, you can uh, find him by, well, Phil, you can spell very easily. And then Siziani, S-C-I-S-C-I-A. N I and you can look them up on LinkedIn and reach out to Phil personally if you have any questions and of course beyond that if you want to learn more about his company then yeah visit the website that's a pretty simple way to do it yep with that I will wrap up for today for Phil I'm Ben Dubose news editor with AMP for those of you that want more resources from us the best way to get it is codingspromag.com the website for Codings Pro Magazine we are a bi-monthly publication targeting industrial and commercial contractors covering concrete steel and roof substrates and in the months that we don't have full-blown issues we have targeted supplements covering industries like concrete steel roof coatings or market segments like equipment surface prep etc safety as well we should mention so whatever you need as a coatings contractor there's a good shot we've got it at coatings for magazine and coatingsformag.com is the website and for amp the Association for Materials Protection and Performance, just go to www.ampp.org and then you can find all of our association resources, including some of the training resources that we were touching on earlier. You can see what we have available now just by visiting amp.org. With that, I will sign off for Phil. I'm Ben. Thanks as always for listening and please come back soon for another new episode from the Codings Pro interview series.